This passage says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. Good grief. This is the greatest message that's ever been given. This is the message that'll set you free. This is a message that'll forgive your sins. This is a message that'll give you hope. This little message will take you out of darkness and bring you into light. This is a message that can turn everything around. Not to us, but to your name be the glory. Thank you for joining us on Truth That Changes Lives. Pastor J.P. Jones is the senior pastor of Crossline Community Church in Laguna Hills, California, and a professor in biblical studies at Biola University. Today on Truth That Changes Lives, Pastor J.P. will be giving us a message from a series entitled, Questions. Let's listen in as J.P. gives part two of What About Those Who Have Never Heard. God's just, and there will be a just judgment of God. In fact, the book of Revelation describes it in Revelation chapter 20. Revelation chapter 20 actually describes that the mass of mankind appears before God and all the books of people's deeds are opened. I mean, everything that people have ever said, ever thought, ever done in public or in secret. And God will evaluate everything. And the Bible says in that passage, in this terrifying, holy picture of judgment, that if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, they're cast into the lake of fire. Wow, absolute perfect justice. What about the person who's never heard? I, I, I don't know, but I know God and God will deal consistent with his love and consistent with his justice. But that's not all I know. I also know, because the Bible has clearly stated it, that salvation is by grace through faith. Salvation is by grace through faith. It says this in Titus chapter three. But when the kindness and love of God, our savior appeared, he saved us, not because of righteous things we've done, but because of his mercy. He saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us generously through Jesus Christ, our savior. So that having been justified by his grace, we might become heirs having the hope of eternal life. You see, God deals with people on the basis of mercy and grace and love. And he transforms people's lives by the work of his Holy Spirit. And he justifies people on the basis of grace. In other words, the picture is this. Before the bar of God's justice, everyone falls short. And our works pale in comparison to the perfect standard of God. And the idea of being justified is the Greek word dikeao. It means to be declared right. So here is a righteous God in judgment. And people are standing before the very righteous standard of God. And as good as some of us might be here, and as good as some of our neighbors might be, and as good as some of the people around the world might be, all of their righteousness is going to fall short of the righteous standard of God. Well, if that's the case, how is anyone going to be made right with God? Well, this passage tells us. People are justified, declared righteous by God's grace. By God's grace. It's the very grace of God. In fact, that is the dividing line between Christianity and every other religion. Last week we talked about what about other religions. We asked the question, don't all religions teach basically the same thing? And the answer was no. And we looked at some of the different content, the doctrine of different religions, and saw how they actually taught some different things. But we didn't actually look at this point. But this is the great dividing line between Christianity and every other religion. By its very definition, if you were to take a religion course in university, if you take an anthropology course, a course in world religions, you would hear this definition. Religion is man's attempts to reach God. 
Man's attempts to reach God. In one religion, it might be through keeping certain commandments. In another religion, it might be through practicing certain rituals. In another religion, it might be through offering certain sacrifices. In another religion, it might be through uh, chanting certain prayers. In another religion, it might be through practicing certain religious good works. And in another religion, it might be a combination of some of those things. But all of those are various works, man's attempt to reach God. In Christianity, it's flip-flopped. It's God reaching down to man. And it's not based on works, it's based on grace. The very grace of God, the goodness of God, the free offer of God. Salvation is by grace through faith. In fact, Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 says this, For it is by grace you've been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it's the gift of God, not by works so that no one could boast. Well, what about the person who's never heard the gospel? I, I don't know. But this is what I do know. God is loving. God is just. Salvation is by grace through faith. Here's a fourth thing the Bible makes clear. Salvation is only through Jesus Christ. It's only through Jesus Christ. First Timothy 2, 5, and 6 says this. For there is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all men, the testimony given in its proper time. Paul says this, there's one God and there's man and the bridge that connects them, the mediator is Jesus Christ because he gave his life as a ransom for all. You see, um, there's an organization called the Navigators, great organization, and they have a little booklet called the bridge. And before they made the booklet, they used to write it out on a piece of paper. If they, they were sitting down talking to someone and explaining this good news of, of Christ and salvation. They would draw a picture and it would be just like a little cliff and they would write a holy God. And then over here they would write like another cliff and they would write sinful man. And there was this chasm, this break between a holy God and the sinful man. And then in between they would write sin. And the question that's raised is, well, if this is a holy God, this is a sinful man, and sin has created this chasm of separation, how does... God reached down to man, and how does man reach back to God? And then, in this illustration of the bridge, they would draw a picture of a bridge between the two cliffs, and they would write on the bridge, Jesus Christ. He's the bridge. He's the mediator between God and man. And the apostle Peter, when brought before the Jewish council because of a miracle that was done of healing a man, he said these words in Acts 4, then know this, you and all the people of Israel, it's by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead, that this man stands before you healed. Jesus is the stone you builders rejected, which has become the capstone. Salvation is found in no one else, for there's no other name under heaven given to men by which we must be saved. No other name other than the name of Jesus Christ, because he was crucified and died for our sins. He was resurrected and raised from the dead. And it's through his provision of forgiveness that all people could be made right with God. So Jesus said this in John chapter 14, verse six, Jesus answered, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the father except through me. Well, what about that person who's never heard the gospel? I don't know. But this is what I think the Bible makes clear, that God is loving, 
and that God is just and that salvation is by grace through faith and that salvation is only through Jesus Christ. Here's a fifth thing that I think the Bible makes clear that really helps create a context for us to understand this question and the possible answer or at least the, uh, the provision for an answer to this question. It's this. Every person is accountable to God for the revelation they've received. God's made himself known. Uh, he, he, he's revealed himself. He's revealed himself in all kinds of ways. He's revealed himself in creation. He's revealed himself through our conscience. He's revealed himself in human history. He's revealed himself in miracles. He's revealed himself in prophecy. He's revealed himself in dreams. He's revealed himself in visions. He's revealed himself through the written word of God. The primary revelation that God has given about who he is and what it means to be in a relationship with him is through the person of Jesus Christ. He is the image of the invisible God, Colossians 1 says. Uh, John 1 says that no one has seen God at any time. The only begotten God who's in the bosom of the Father, he's explained him. The law came by Moses. Grace and truth were revealed in Jesus Christ. The writer of the Hebrews in Hebrews chapter 1 says that God spoke to the fathers and through the prophets in many portions in many ways in latter days, but now he has spoken to us in his Son, who is the exact representation of his glory who holds all things by the word of his power. And after he made purification for sins, he has sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. Jesus is the primary, supreme, preeminent revelation of God. But every person, whether they live here in South Orange County or they live in Malawi or they live in Moscow or they live in Argentina or they live in Saudi Arabia, wherever they may be, every person has received some revelation of God. And people are responsible and accountable for that revelation. The first couple of chapters of Romans, Paul makes this so clear in in really responding to this kind of question about God and our relationship with him. In fact, he says this in Romans chapter one. I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it's the power of God for salvation of everyone who believes, first for the Jew, then for the Gentile, For in the gospel, a righteousness from God is revealed, a righteousness that's by faith from first to last, just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the ungodliness and wickedness of men who suppress the truth by their wickedness, since what may be known about God is plain to them because God has made it plain to them. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities His eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen being understood from what has been made so that men are without excuse. The scripture says, no one will be able to shake their fist at God and say, I didn't have a chance. You didn't treat me fairly. Wow. This passage says, first of all, he says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. Good grief. This is the greatest message that's ever been given. This is a message that will set you free. This is a message that will forgive your sins. This is a message that will give you hope. This little message that will take you out of darkness and bring you into light. This is a message that can turn everything around. The last thing is that I'm ashamed of it. And this message of the gospel of Jesus Christ, it actually tells you how to get right with a righteous God. It tells you how to become righteous. Not so much in terms of the daily experience, but your position, your standing. How to be able to stand before God with confidence, not shame or guilt. That's what this gospel message, and that's by faith, it says, by the way. It's all by faith. That's how you get right with God, by faith. But he says, you know what? There are some people who suppress this truth. Some people suppress it 
But God has given a witness of himself to everyone. God has made himself known to everyone and he's made himself known through creation. He's made himself known through the very created world so that anybody can look at the stars, can look at the sky, anybody can look at the human body, anybody can look at creation and know that there is a God and he's real. And in fact, this passage says not only that there's a God and that he's real, but that he's powerful and he's infinite and he alone is God. So that anybody tries to deny that, it's without excuse. Well, Paul goes on in Romans chapter 2, and he says this, All who sin apart from the law will also perish apart from the law, and all who sin under the law will be judged by the law. For it's not those who hear the law who are righteous in God's sight, but it's those who obey the law who will be declared righteous. Indeed, when Gentiles who do not have the law, they do by nature things Required by the law, they're a law for themselves, even though they do not have the law, since they show that the requirements of the law are written on their hearts, their consciences also bearing witness, and their thoughts now accusing, now even defending them. And this will take place on the day when God will judge men's secrets through Jesus Christ, as my gospel declares." This passage says that God has given a revelation of himself not only in creation, but on the human conscience. God's written his moral code on the human heart. So every person comes into this world not as a clean slate. People come into this world affected by sin, but also created in the image of God with a moral conscience, with an innate sense of right and wrong. And Paul says in this passage that God's standard of judgment is going to be just. So that if someone has never heard the law, the specific written revelation of God, then on the day of judgment, he's not going to use the law to judge them. He's going to use their own conscience, their own moral code. I was talking with a student up at UC Santa Barbara several years ago about this very thing. And uh, as, as we were sitting out on a lawn overlooking the ocean, great place to go to school, UCSB. We're having this conversation about God and truth and heaven and hell and judgment. And we're, we're talking and, and he says, well, you know what? I, I know you believe all that, but I don't believe any of that. I, I don't believe any of that. So how can God judge me by something I don't even believe in? I said, that's a good question. I said, let me ask you, are, are you a sociopath? He said, what do you mean? I go, are you a sociopath? You just you know, do whatever you feel like doing without any sense of the consequences and you have no sense of morality? He goes, no. I go, so you would say you have a moral compass that you try to live by? He goes, yeah. I go, you have your own moral code. It might be something I agree with. It might be something I disagree with. But you have your own moral code that you try to live by. He goes, of course I do. I said, well, let me ask you this. Do you always do the things that you think are right and do you never do the things that you think are wrong? He goes, what? I said, based on your moral code, your sense of right and wrong, not mine, not the Bible's, yours, do you always do the things that you think are right and do you never do the things that you think are wrong? He said, well, no, I don't. I said, well, you know what? And I turned to this passage, Romans chapter two, and I read him the passage and it says, when you stand before God, he's not gonna judge you on the law. He's not gonna use the 10 commandments. He's not gonna use the sermon on the mount. He's not gonna use the Bible. He's gonna judge you on your own moral code. And by your own words, you've condemned yourself. He went, wow. And then as I shared with you last week, when we were talking about different religions, when I talked to someone, because I'm talking out of a heart of compassion for people, 
And I said to him on that day, and I was talking to him, I said, what are you going to do about your sin? That's a heavy load, man. What are you doing about it? And as he was thinking about that, I said, that's the good news of the gospel. Jesus Christ died for our sins. He died for mine and he died for yours. He loved you so much before you were even born. He went on the cross, took all of your sin and paid the penalty for it so that you could stand before God with confidence, with hope, with expectation because you knew all your sins were forgiven and you were right and you were looking forward to stepping into eternity with God. See, the Bible says this, that um, we're all accountable to the revelation that we've been given because God gives us a revelation of himself so that we might come to know him. That's what God wants. God wants us to come to know him, wants all people to come to know him. In fact, it says in 1 Peter 3, God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. And so in Acts chapter 17, the apostle Paul has a conversation with these philosophers at a place uh, called Mars Hill, the Areopagus, and uh, he discusses with them this very truth of God's revelation of himself and God's desire to make himself known. And what he does to have this discussion is he appeals to a statue that had an inscription called the unknown God. Well, Laertes, an ancient writer, records for us the background for that statue. Because hundreds of years before Paul came to Athens, there was a plague that affected the city of Athens and people were dying like crazy. And so they tried to do everything that they knew medically to take care of it, and they couldn't stop it. So they appealed to the religious leaders, and the religious leaders said, this has been brought upon us by the gods, and so we need to appeal to the gods to to stop this plague. And so they went to a period of prayer and fasting and and sacrifice to, to try to make atonement so that the gods would stop the sacrifice or stop the plague, and it didn't work. So they went to a um a city not that far away where there was a philosopher, a wise man named Epimenides. And they brought Epimenides to to Athens and they said, this is what's going on and this is what we're trying to do and the plague is still attacking us. And Epimenides said, well, you've done the right thing in trying to appeal to the gods and understanding that only God could stop the plague. But obviously you have yet to appeal to the true God because your prayers and your fasting haven't worked, so you must have been praying and fasting to a false God, not to the true God. And so what you need to do is you need to direct your prayers to the true God and ask him to stop this plague. And since you don't know who he is, you need to appeal to him and be honest that you don't know who he is and say, we don't know who you are, you're the unknown God, but we know you're the only God who can do anything about this, so would you stop the plague? So they built a statue to the unknown God and they asked that God to stop the plague, guess what, the plague stopped. That statue was still in the city of Athens when hundreds of years later, the apostle Paul got to Athens. And the Greek philosophers gathered together and asked Paul to talk to him. And it says this in Acts chapter 17. Paul then stood up in the meeting of the Areopagus and he said, men of Athens, I see that in every way you are very religious. For as I walked around and looked carefully at your objects of worship, I even found an altar with this inscription to an unknown God. Now what you worship is something unknown I'm going to proclaim to you the God who made the world and everything in it. He's the Lord of heaven and earth and does not live in temples built by hands. And he's not served by human hands as if he needed anything because he himself gives all men life and breath and everything else. And from one man he made every nation of men 
that they should inhabit the whole earth. And he determined the times and set for them and the exact places where they should live. God did this so that men would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him. Though he's not far from each one of us. Paul says, that religious inclination in you has been put there by God who created you so that you would reach out for him and find him. What about the person who's never heard? I don't know. But this is what I can say the Bible says clearly. God is love. God is just. Salvation is by grace through faith. Salvation is only through Jesus Christ, and every person is accountable to the revelation of God that they've received. What about the person who's never heard? I don't know. But I can tell you with absolute clarity about the person who has heard. Jesus said, if anyone believes on me, he will have eternal life. But if anyone rejects me, he shall die in his sins. Wow. Jesus said the offer of eternal life is open to anyone who hears and believes. The Bible says in Romans chapter 10, whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. If we confess with our mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in our heart God raised him from the dead, we shall be saved. And the writer of the Hebrews says this in Hebrews 3 verses 4. Today is the day of salvation. Today, if you hear God's voice, don't harden your hearts. And then he makes reference to the wilderness wanderings of God's people and says, you know what? They heard good news, but it didn't profit them because they didn't unite it with faith. So today, if you hear God's voice, don't harden your hearts, but believe. Today, this day, if you're hearing God's voice, don't harden your heart. Believe. Believe. Because Jesus said, Whoever believes on him shall have eternal life. God's offer of eternal life is open for you today. What a great message for all of us today. Pastor JP provides us with great insight. That is why we'd like to make it available to you on CD. Just get in touch and mention today's date. We'll send it your way for just $5. Or if you'd like to support this ministry, you can write us at Truth That Changes Lives, 23331 Molten Parkway, Laguna Hills, California, 92653. Or give us a call at 949-916-0250. That's 949-916-0250. For your gift of $25 or more, we will send you a signed copy of JP's new book, Facing Goliath. Please join us every Sunday at 9 or 11 a.m. at Crossline Church in Laguna Hills. The address is 23331 Molten Parkway, Laguna Hills, California, 92653. Or check us out on the web at crosslinechurch.com. We're going to get to the address and phone number again in a moment. But before we do that, Pastor JP, do you have any insight from today's message? Thanks, Greg. What about those who have never heard? The answer to that question is found in the character of God. God's love and God's justice guarantees that God will do the right thing with the person who's never heard. The question, what about the person who has heard, is clear. The Bible is so clear. In fact, it's answered in Paul's response to the Philippian jailer in Acts chapter 16 when he said, what must I do to be saved? Paul said, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. If you want to be saved, if you want to know with certainty you have a relationship with God, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. 
Pray this prayer right now. Lord Jesus, I believe in you. Come into my life, forgive my sins, and be the Lord of my life. In Jesus' name, amen. We want to help you in your relationship with Christ. Please get in touch with us at Truth That Changes Lives, 23331, Molten Parkway, Laguna Hills, California, 92653. Or call us at 949-916-0250. On the internet, you will find us at crosslinechurch.com. We hope to see you at one of our services every Sunday at our new campus in Laguna Hills. For more information and directions, please go to crosslinechurch.com. Please join us next time on Truth That Changes Lives. The cross before you.